I thought I would start this session by giving you all an update on my boiler situation. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Fee knows what's happened this week with my boiler. So uh, if you didn't hear the last episode, my boiler broke two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, just on was it the day after Easter. So just when it started to snow, you know, get really cold conveniently. <laughs> and a friend of mine came round, brilliant guy, super handy and fixy and makey and amazing and took out the fan. It's a super old boiler. He cleaned it all out, got it working again. I mean, it's on its last legs, but it was working. But weirdly enough, there was no hot water. So I had heating, but no hot water. And so I've been showering at my mother-in-law's I've been filling up the bath with individual kettles of hot water which took an hour and by the time I'd done it it was cold again I mean it, it barely covered my son's legs it was like what is this <laughs> can you put more water in please I was like I can't do it anymore it's half past eight at night just stay in the bath oh. so this went on for quite some time until <laughs> Until I realised that there's a great big switch on the front of the boiler that says hot water off on. <laughs> How did that take you a week to realise? I did not. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so here's a life tip for you all, folks. Um, check, check the on-off situation before you endure a week of no hot water, kettle baths, and uh, and showering. At your mother-in-law's, walking, was it? walking over there with sandals on and my shampoo and my bag, like a child <laughs> swimming, you know, <laughs> walking back with wet hair. <laughs> was it instant? Did the hot water come on yeah. instantly? Yeah, it's just an on-off switch. And it's one I've used before. I know it's there. I'm fully aware of its presence. I've lived here 10 years. I know how the boiler works. Was it? Were you just uh, looking at it and you thought, I wonder if it's something I yeah. can do? Or did it just suddenly occur to you? I just went to turn the boiler on at the at the boiler part like I normally do and I was just like oh there's an on-off switch oh that's that's why <laughs> how is being a mum such a roller coaster one moment you're flying high snacks are good people are happy and you're feeling top the next moment, everyone is crying, someone's had a tantrum, and you've eaten all the biscuits hiding in the kitchen. Throw a pandemic into it, each day is as unpredictable as your mother-in-law after she's been drinking. We're Liz and Fee, mums of preschoolers, and we are desperate for mums to be more honest, letting others about how hard all of this is, and seek solidarity from those who are going through what you're going through. Parenting is hard enough as it is, without having to spend all your time with your children. Welcome to Parenting in a Pandemic. At least it was only, I know that it's no consolation, but it was just a week. It could yes. have been, it could have been weeks and weeks and weeks and then we would have hit summer and you thought, oh, well, I'll just, you know, it could have been a really long time. Yeah. And we had heating, which is, which made it okay. You can cope without the hot water. Yes. But no heating is, was, you know, was, a, was a lot to deal with. So it was fine. I was just managing. It was quite, you know, it was a bit like camping. It's fine. A <laughs> bit completely like unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. And there was you, Fee, about to drive out with hot water urns so that I could fill up the bath <laughs> in less than two hours. I was all ready uh, to go and clean them and everything. I was like, right. Oh, my God. Check I'm they so were working. Sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, I don't. It's good to check that these things <laughs> are still working anyway. Um, 
What? And then I, I said to Marcus as well, I said, oh, I'm going to pop over probably when the girls are down. And then I, and then he said, so what time? I was like, oh, no, hang on. No, it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean to happen anymore. What a total idiot. I mean, how stupid can you possibly be? I think also, just to throw into the, like, I've, I've done very, very similar things. And um, it's really easy to do. Like I told you about, we had a power cut and I had no... For somebody who regards himself as I'm pretty practical, I kind yeah. of know how to 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 fix things, and you know, I it was a few years ago, and we had a power cut. Marcus came home after work one day, and I was just crying with the blanket, similar to the what I look like right now, on the sofa, freezing cold. And he said, "What's going? What are you doing? Why are you sitting in the dark crying?" I was like, "There was a power cut." He's like, "You just flick this switch here under the." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh okay, okay. Um, and I think it's kind of when you've resigned yourself so- sometimes to a certain fate, you don't tend to think, you just give up. You just think, well, I can't, I can't fix it. I can't this is, it. Do this is my life now, yeah. cold and in the dark. This is, this is how I'll be forever. <laughs> but oh, yeah, whole thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. What, it's, a, yeah. what a strange week, though, in general. So the girls were at the grandparents and I we were, we were redoing the kitchen and um listening to the radio all day it was really really nice so we, we I always have the radio on always it's just a it's a thing that I my mum used to do it I do it I just have it on constantly in the background and on Friday I noticed um that they weren't playing music anymore I listen to Radio 6 constantly I never don't really change it unless I put Radio 4 or World Service on and I was like, what are they talking about? And for a horrible brief second, there's nothing like knowing your feelings until, you know, you're presented with it. I mistook what they were saying for that the Queen had died. And I felt very sad. I felt genuinely like it was kind of like a bit of a, uh, oh, like a shock. I felt really, oh, my goodness, it's, you know, it's happened. And then, you know, when it turned out that it wasn't the Queen and it was it was Prince Philip, it was it did change the tone <laughs> somewhat. I didn't feel I didn't feel as bereft. Um, That's amazing. But then I was sort of I didn't. It's all about learning, isn't it? I didn't realise with the BBC and obviously subsequently they've had what is it ten thousand complaints that they just switch off all channels and it's just the same broadcast across all of their. So I went to go and pick up. Frankie from preschool and Penny was going nuts in the back of the car. I don't like this. I don't like because it was just going, he was a good man and he <laughs> served in the forces. You know, she's going, put something else on. So I was going radio two, radio three, radio That's four, five live, six music. They were all playing. And eventually, oh, I put red, never listen to radio one because I'm not, you know, 15. And I put radio one on and it was an orchestral v- version of Adele, and she was. It was in the background. It was singing "Hello from the Other Side." I was like, <laughs> I was like of all the songs, <laughs> I was like, Philip, is that you? <laughs> of all the songs, of all the songs, it was so. Why would you? Who is the, in charge of like <laughs> the BBC? What a bizarre song to pick! I couldn't believe it. And like, obviously, you can't explain that to a two-year-old about that. But I thought it was very funny. 
<laughs> absolutely fantastic. What a weird Amazing. day. What a just a weird a weird day. I can't really explain. And I you, you learn yeah. a lot, don't you, when something like massive like that happens. Um and I do feel I feel sad for her. I mean, God, how long were they married? Seventy was it seventy-three? Seventy-three years? I mean, that's for any, you know, it doesn't really matter what you think about the royal family. That's a huge loss. And I really feel so sad for her. Yeah. But, you know, she doesn't she doesn't have that anymore. But quite extraordinary how in a matter of they obviously had everything ready, didn't they? Well, <laughs> I suspect they've had that, those things ready for quite some time. Yeah. Yes. I mean he was he was Do you think they specially commissioned the orchestral version of Adele's song? Well, I mean, I don't know. It was so it was so when I go, this is what I want you to play. That's um, yeah, because I'm guessing Adele, Adele wasn't Prince Philip's first choice. Of, <laughs> Maybe not. Commemorative Maybe. music. But no. Who knows? Who knows? Surprising who knows fellow. Um, but just, yeah, kind of, you know, what I've, I felt really, uh, I don't really give much thought to the royal family, to be honest. I know everyone's different, but they don't really enter my my, my my sort of my thinking but then as soon as yeah. something like that happens you do they become much more humanized don't they because they're real people with lives that end and um have consequences for people who you know I just I felt I felt very I felt very sad for her I felt very sad for the family actually just like I would with anybody who's you know that old 99 and has had that kind of life yeah um but yes, they did. I know the BBC got a lot of complaints because it was on all day. It did feel a little bit uh, like they had sort of overplayed slightly the nation's mm. response. A little bit like your example of, oh, gosh, the Queen's died. Oh, no, it's only... <laughs> no, that sounds really mean. Um, but also, I, I, think, I think perhaps they, you know hadn't judged the mood of the room in terms of how people feel about the monarchy in general um, mm. and you know playing things on radio one for a younger generation who are far less likely to care about the monarchy at all mm. um, or might, might perhaps um you know have actively negative feelings about it and we're talking about you know colonialism and all of that other stuff this is not the podcast to go into it on but um <laughs> see another one, one. Of my many other rants that yeah. i do that aren't broadcast just me alone in my living room with a microphone um <laughs> if any of you know me you'll know that this is almost true um <clears throat> almost but it all yeah just don't bother with the microphone yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and you know what i think about this yeah that's me um <laughs> but it did it did make me think, you know, that uh, about the way we respond to these sorts of things, and not just you know big famous people dying or national treasures or you know whatever it might be, mon monarchy po politicians, important people, mm. but how we respond to other families in crisis, mm -hmm. um, which I'm realizing now sounds like a really um, scraping the barrel segue into our situation. <laughs> it genuinely isn't it? It genuinely is, is what I was thinking about. Um, that actually, we you know, we're so weird about death in this country. We're so weird about it. We're so weird mm. about public and private spaces. We're so weird about intruding on a family who's going through something difficult. It, it really reminded me of the, the things we were talking about when we were putting together our, our practical pampering leaflet, you know, of, the, of those awkward conversations around no actually I don't want you to come and 
spend ages in my house when I've just had a baby. I want you to come and clean my kitchen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a really mm -hmm. awkward and difficult thing to say to somebody. And similarly, you know, if a family has gone through a tragedy or a difficult time of any kind, how we don't really know what to do about it. We don't really know how to talk about it or how to address it. And I think that's something we really we've really shot ourselves in the foot with in this country in particular, just mm. setting up weird taboos about things where, you know, particularly situations where you most need to not have taboos around them. You know, yeah. they're not taboos mm -hmm. about pasta where like, it's not that big a deal <laughs> if you could talk about it or not, we're all going to be fine. But you know, taboos around death, around grief, around birth, around divorce, around child loss, you know, these are big things where we need support from one another. And we just mm. really rubbish at it. Mm, mm. It's definitely something I find. Um, I did anthropology, a little bit of anthropology at university. I did anthropology. I mean, I literally did about four modules, but you know. Um, but one of them was about um, was about not routine rituals, rituals, and in pretty much every other culture apart from Western cultures, you know, it's death is a really celebrated, um, visceral event where people, you know, really. Um, let their emotions just do what they should do. Yeah. You know, we're we're so restrictive in in how we manage it and how we deal with it. And then obviously we don't deal with it a lot of the time and it comes back to haunt us because and and I and I mean that in every sense of the word, you know, the haunted <laughs> the haunting are is our own emotions because yeah. you know we haven't we haven't had the, the the right out at the time. And that's crucial when you're when you're going through something a trauma and you don't let that trauma take its natural course it, it it stays with you and it manifests itself in other ways and yeah. we see that so so many times don't we with 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 mums first time mums second time mums that they they I'm fine I'm fine and they get on with it and and no 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 I'm good I'm good I don't need help or I don't need to talk about it I don't need to go and see a professional and then suddenly they have a breakdown in a supermarket or they're sobbing or they can't get out of bed and this it could be years later it could be yeah. you know it could be so far down the road and then it's hard to you know there's a, a an element of dissociation because you know how do you you've got to pick all the pieces back up and try and find where they came from and you know that's that's incredibly difficult so um yeah, I mean, it's a long-winded <laughs> sort of digress from the royal family, but they're a perfect example of not dealing with, you know, well, keeping aren't they? you know, keep, you know, keeping things very close to your chest and and not really talking. It's very, very British. It's a very British thing that we that we do, and we do try. I think, you know, especially in you know in twenty twenty one, people are much better at talking about mental health and you know, getting the help when they need it and having the conversations, but we still have so far to go with it for people to really be honest about how they're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And that's partly why we exist as becoming mums, as a, to provide a space where we can talk honestly about what we're mm -hmm. feeling. Um, and it's really fantastic. We've got Emma Taylor from Reading Maternity Voices with us today, this evening, um, who similarly has created a space and is holding space for these um, 
these processes and these um, debriefs and these, you know, these really important conversations to take place. Um, so hi, Emma, thanks for joining us. Hi, nice to be with you. So tell us about Reading Maternity Voices. Is it part of a, it's part of a bigger network? Is that how it starts and it's franchised or is it something that you start? Tell us for people who don't know, uh, where did it where did it start? Yeah, so maternity voices partnerships are NHS working groups. So they are funded um, usually by a mixture of funding from the clinical commissioning group, which also funds things like GP surgeries, and the local maternity systems, which receives funding, um, has been from maternity transformation program that's now transitioning into the NHS long term plan just a different name for the pot really just money that's allocated yeah. <laughs> they, they like to give it all different names so maternity voices partnerships occupy a really unusual space because there's there's nothing else like us um, we're not a patient group we are a working group made up of parents and led by parents but the uh, the rest of our members are staff from the hospital and we will also have at our meetings people like, you know, representatives from health visiting, maybe from Health Watch, um, children's centres, all of those sorts of groups, anybody who might have an interest in local maternity services. So they exist um, over the UK, but they're funded separately in Scotland to the way they are in England. Um, that sort of classic mm-hmm. split. Uh, yeah. And they're all funded a bit, diff- <laughs> a bit differently. Some are really well funded, some have less funding. In, in the main, we're sort of funded for a few days a month, which, you know, ideally we'd be funded it's for more nothing. Than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and our, our role, you know, we're written into um, lots of the guidance and lots of the documents that, you know, the idea is that we are gathering feedback from the local community. We're hearing what people think about local maternity services. We ask them, you know, what, what's good, what's not so good, what ideas have you got for improvement? We share that with staff and we have um, a bit of clout, I guess, is the way to say it, of, mm-hmm. of having conversations with staff to get things changed and to push for change where it's needed. So I think they're fantastic because it's actually the people who use the service who run them and, and get to to say what needs doing, which doesn't really happen. Patient groups are different because they get consulted, but they're not always involved right from the very beginning. And we're all about what we call co-creation or co-production. So that it's right from the beginning of a project. Ideally, you know, we've got service users in there and talking about what's needed. There's a lot of different bits to it. Yes. You know, there's something. And one of the first, one of the first times I heard about you was um I'd, well I'd heard pre-pandemic about you but the um, uh the RBH were li- their lives at the question and answer sessions and you guys were just that you were constantly there you were there asking questions making sure people understood what their answers meant because sometimes there was quite I saw there was a lot of medical jargon or glossing over certain things not in half the time I, it seemed very unintentional but it was very much a um it was kind of almost like having a sort of godmother there a fairy godmother who was putting all these all these worries and questions of these women um forward so that the that they were answered coherently and 
really thoroughly I found and you know it's really obvious when you go back through and you read the transcripts of the questions and answers you can it, you can feel the anxiety mm. through the words really panicking can I have my birth partner uh, can I have a water birth what you know when my partner arrives can they stay for the duration do they have to leave is there still the same availability of rooms there's such so many questions mm. and it was just this kind of I felt a little bit for RBH having to, <laughs> you know, just women constantly typing. But I felt like you guys did such an excellent job of answering the questions and keeping calm and making sure everything was understood. And I think in a time when everyone was really panicking and really worried, this is you guys were exactly what was needed to be able to allay some of those concerns. I think without them, it, it, would, it would have been a really different picture. I love that image of being a fairy godmother. I, I don't... Oh, that's exactly <laughs> what it was like. It was like, I'll take control. Let me, let me, let me help. I know, I know what questions to ask. I know what you mean. It was, that's, that's how I felt. I mean, I think that's the, the unique power of a maternity voices partnership is that, you know, I, I, I hate saying just a mum. <laughs> There's nothing just about me. Yeah, don't. Take the just out. I'm a mum. I'm not a health professional. So I immediately understood how everybody would be feeling about being pregnant and giving birth Mm -hmm. during, you know, the pandemic. That's not something I've personally experienced. But, you know, we all remember what it was like being pregnant. We all remember what it was like giving birth and the things that we were concerned about. And... What I found over the pandemic is before we went into the pandemic, nobody knew who we were. We had like 500 likes on Facebook. And mm-hmm. I, the reason I can explain what an MVP is in less than five minutes is because I spent every time I ever spoke to anybody and told them what I did, I'd have to tell them <laughs> what it was because nobody had any idea what I, what I did and what the MVP did. We mm-hmm. now have around 2,000 likers on our Facebook oh, wow. page. So suddenly so many more people knew who we were. And what I found is that because um, I'd go and share things on groups and make sure that people knew updates and knew what was happening, they got to know me and my name as well. So now I find I get tagged in conversations all, all around the internet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the voices will know this and then they tag me in personally which actually oh. is really fantastic yeah. because what that's meant is that people know that we exist they know what we do and they trust us enough to yeah. to ask us and you know on the q a's that i thought it was fantastic working with the midwives in that way that before we did the lives, which Louise does now, it was um, the midwife Sam and Sarah and me. We'd be on like speakerphone to each other and just have this mm. sort of live post, and we'd be talking for the whole hour while all these questions came in, and I'd have questions from our inbox that I would put in, and mm. there was a lot of openness and and sharing. As you say, there's so much anxiety from people and and still is around you know all the uncertainty and wanting to understand having the opportunity to talk to people through that and be virtually shoulder to shoulder with the midwives and actually working with them has been absolutely fantastic and it has really changed and improved our working relationships in a way that I'm sure would have you know happened gradually over years but I think it would have been 
years it's just forced us all to mm -hmm. to really pull together um so mm -hmm. yeah i consider us like a, a bridge or a conduit between the community and the hospital because mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're parents and we're representing families so i'm not bringing my own personal experiences or views to conversations you know my, my mm -hmm. role is to be hearing what people are telling me and bringing that to the table and making sure that all the questions are being asked and um part of our role is always described as, as bringing gentle challenge to the professional mm -hmm. and i always say i'm like mm -hmm. i love that term but, but i'm yeah. a friend you know to the professionals that will tell them their bum does look big in it because i don't yeah. shy away that <laughs> <laughs> no, i will say actually i just I hope, yeah I it don't does think yeah. that that's really what people want from you you know i don't think that's such a good idea as you think it is um, mm -hmm. But it's a really, it's a really important role that's become more important through the pandemic. But I just, I just love the relationships that have, have built up. I feel like there's a real flow of information and feedback happening that is happening in real time. Before we used to operate on a quarterly cycle, which is kind of a standard MVP cycle. So you'd have gather feedback one month. The next month we'd talk about it with our service user representatives, parent reps. The next month, we'd have our formal meeting with the staff and discuss it. And everything, that means it's very slow to progress anything because you're only really getting mm -hmm. an opportunity four times a year <laughs> to have a conversation. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's changed. I now have you know people's mobile numbers, direct lines. Um, some of the midwives I talk to mm -hmm. on Facebook Messenger, we literally just, this needs to be talked about now. Let's have a conversation about it. And that's that's transformed how responsive we can be. And that's been mm -hmm. really, really important, particularly over the scanning issue. Um, yes. That was a huge thing, obviously, nationally. Um, but I was able yeah. to use the relationships that we have and have conversations really quickly. And Royal Berkshire was one of the hospitals that moved more quickly on getting partners back into scans there are still hospitals now that don't allow partners into all scans oh, you're really? kidding wow which is incredible I, a year that's, on. that's terrible that's i actually wrote terrible i remember reading the part about because there was a lot of questions coming in about that and both you and rbh maternity services were saying there are rooms that are just too old <laughs> and they don't have the ventilation and we physically can't have more than the two people well two and then and three technically but you know the two mm -hmm. the two grown adults in a room you know we can't we just can't do it we want to but we just can't do it. and other hospitals can and you know I saw that conversation being happen you know happening again and again and you know why and and talking about loss and grief and how they were managing that and it was a real it, it came up a lot and it must have been a real focus. It must have been something that you were having to deal with on a, on a daily basis. It was so difficult because you've got all the anxieties of the families and, and their needs. And, you know, the thing about scans is that you just don't know what you're going to be told at a scan. Mm -hmm. I've had the personal experience of, of going for a scan and being told that my baby had died. And the thought of doing that without a partner there it's yeah. just incomprehensible to me because I remember, you know, that that day and it was years ago, but I, I don't even know how I walked out of the room. I think my husband must have pretty much carried me and I, I couldn't imagine how women could go through that and face the possibility. And you don't know who's going to be told that. 
you cannot know mm. who might get that sort of news. Um, so I, I felt really strongly that it needed to change, that that was something that had to happen and that people needed their their partner there, they needed a, a support. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we were able to, to get that to happen through just through, you know, lots of conversations and lots of can we can we see if there's another way to do it? How could we get around it? What you know, asking staff, well, what are your what are your fears? What are, what are the barriers for you? And can we think about whether there might be some solutions for this? And once once that was opened up, you know, it was opened up across all the scans, which was great, you know, to your 12 week, 20 week and the growth scans. So it was mm -hmm. it was an amazing thing because I felt like we'd really achieved something and that families were going to see a real positive change. And then I carried on those conversations with the early pregnancy unit as well, because obviously you go there for scans and you're far more likely at the EPU to have bad news a mm -hmm. scan than you, you mm -hmm. are the standard yeah. scan and they were so open to it and actually bought in equipment to put up because they had cancer patients in the same part of the hospital so they wanted to protect them oh, wow. but were really willing to you know buy equipment put up screens so that um, they could have partners in scans in the EPU as well and I think that made mm -hmm. a big difference to people's anxiety Yes, absolutely. And that yeah. role of advocacy just, I think, just, you know, it works in so many ways, doesn't it? It's not just you there as an advocate on behalf of the women and their anxieties, but you're also sort of advocating back and helping the women understand what's going on in the hospital and presumably also dealing with the anxieties of the of the staff there who are also human beings at risk of catching COVID who might also be pregnant or have elder, elderly parents at home or, you mm. know, all, all of the other things that that trigger all of those anxieties and finding a, a pathway through that can only come from really positive, comprehensive dialogue, can't it? Which just can't happen between, you know, new mums and the hospital. It's just that it just doesn't work. There's too many of them and it's, there isn't a, a channel there. So to have the maternity voices there, to have you there, to, to be that advocate is um, it's a it's a four or five way street, isn't it? Which is so powerful. Yeah, it, it is. And it's it's holding that space for for families and for staff. And some, sometimes it's quite a difficult place to be because, you know, sometimes mm. nobody's happy, to be fair. <laughs> you know, there's been times during the pandemic where families have been saying, well, we're just really, really unhappy with the service. And the staff are like, we're also really unhappy because we're worried, we're concerned about our own health. We, you know, lots of people are off mm. isolating, we're under a lot of pressure. We've got an old building and that is the problem for Royal Barks is that it's an old building with yeah. which brings mm -hmm. issues with small rooms or you can't ventilate it properly. And there are still guidelines that have to be followed on the two metre rule still applies in hospital. It, it does seem mm -hmm. crazy mm -hmm. when you think, oh, they're opening up the pub so you can go to the pub with five friends. Oh, but I the know. rules in the hospital are still so much stricter. They they have to mm. they have to keep people safe. Um, but the hope is that obviously with with the vaccine rollouts and you know the steps that yes. we're making that things can get back to normal. But obviously the the big issue at the moment is um, visiting hours. Yes, yes, I yeah. saw lots of because they're allowed, but it's it's hugely restricted. Is that yes? Correct? And that is because of the old building and they're trying to make mm -hmm. enough space so you need to have two meters between 
the woman and her partner and the member of staff. Obviously, the woman and her partner can be close because they, they live together, so that's fine. Um, yeah. But they need to be two metres away from other women and partners, and they need to be two metres away from the staff. And when you think about, especially on ward rounds, how many people might be moving around, doing observations, checking the babies, checking the mums, mm. doing yes. drugs rounds, bringing food round it, it's really tricky um, and I know it's really hard for people when they look at other hospitals and they say oh but other hospitals are open for 12 hours a day and why can't we do it here and mm-hmm. it is because it's it, we've got an old building and those rules do apply um, and you've also of course got people going into hospital who are clinically vulnerable and they're really concerned yes. about how many people might be around them while they're giving birth mm-hmm. or you know on the postnatal mm-hmm. ward and yeah balancing all of those things i wanted to ask you what some of the other real um impacts of covid have been that you've noticed either on the services uh, that are available to mothers and parents and families or on the families themselves there, there's been so much that's been affected luckily health visiting were able to get reasonably back to normal fairly quickly. At the beginning, they were all deployed, the, the health visitors, to go and do COVID-related things. So they, they they struggled to offer a service, but as soon as they could, they've gone back um, to a reasonably full service, actually, and they do and doing some face-to-face as well. But GP appointments and services have fared very badly in our feedback. Um, I fed that back at one of the meetings that I go to and we're actually going to be looking at running a survey to gather some more feedback specifically around GP services um, for babies and mums to find out exactly what's going on and, and what could be improved. So that, that's that been very difficult. And my feeling is that we've got a lot of potential mental health problems to come. Mm-hmm. There's so much anxiety that I can read in people's comments in their messages and I'm not always sure that we always recognize mental ill health in ourselves so my concern is that you know people are out there just struggling with with a new baby Mm. and just getting on with it in these very difficult times and perhaps they're not aware that their mental health is not as good as it could be and that that will come out later down the line um I think there needs to be a real focus on looking looking out for that over quite a long period of time afterwards, because I think it's been hugely traumatic for so many people. Mm. And something when before we did the podcast, we had we had a few Facebook lives and we had a doctor came on GP and she and and she was saying that the trouble, the the great thing about the pandemic is so many people were able to access their GP for minor issues maybe they had a bit of a cold that was going on for too long or they'd hurt their wrist or they wanted to get repeat prescriptions they didn't need an appointment so going online and and doing everything electronically had huge benefits and people were you know whizzing through the system and getting the help that they needed very quickly but she said the things that are missed are the visual indications that people aren't well the fact that maybe somebody is looking a little bit more disheveled than they have been or the fact that you can smell alcohol the fact you know that they don't seem completely with it and she said you just don't get that on the 
on the computer. <laughs> you know, you might you might get a phone call at the end of it, but those visual tells aren't there. And she said, you know, that's just only going to become more apparent as time goes on. And those people who don't want to make a fuss or perhaps, you know, they don't want to go in or they're worried about waiting for a doctor for a long time. They just don't go and they don't seek those appointments. They don't seek that help. And then, you know, they, that, uh, they're in a bad way for, for a long period of time. We know that new mums do that anyway, even without all the additional anxiety that they, they because you've got no framework. And we've talked about this before so many times, haven't we? Because it's, it's such a common problem because you've got no framework for what normal is. You don't know if your level of anxiety is normal or not. You're, you, you, know, you know you're going to be exhausted. You know you're going to be sleep deprived. You know it's going to be stressful. You know it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. So if you're also feeling anxious, well, surely that's just part of it. And of course, you know, and of course, anxiety is normal. We all have it. We all feel anxious about something at some point. But when it tips into something that's not right, that needs to be dealt with, it's really difficult to know when that point is, when you've lost mm. your your markers for, for normality. Mm. Absolutely. And those those things like six weeks checks, I remember with my the the difference between the two where you know, even just in the questions, the open-ended questions versus, you know, one of them asked me, how are you feeling? And then the second one asked me with my second child, are you feeling okay? They're very different questions, very, very different questions. And when you're faced with, um, in some cases, we have people just not having those appointments at all, not even on Zoom, they, you know, they, they were just missed altogether. No mother that I know is going to say, has the time to kick up a fuss and say, I could really use talking to somebody it often takes a partner or a friend or it's the the mother that's last on the list in terms of thinking that she her mental health or her physical health both of them are important and if you don't have somebody there asking you those questions then that time that's gone that time has gone and and you're you know you're on to the next stage and you don't get that appointment back you know that's that that's gone I find that I find that aspect of it really frightening that all these things aren't being picked up and these women are being are being missed and don't want to be a burden whereas they're incredibly important just as important as their baby but that's not how it's how they see it a lot of the I think time. there's also been particularly over the pandemic you know concern for how partners are coping as well the RBH did introduce um, a partner call around nine days where they'd phone up and talk to partners, which has been really well received and really hoping that that's going to carry on post pandemic, because I think we can forget about partners and what that's a good. with your first child anyway, particularly what a shock it is to their system to suddenly you know, become a dad or a mum and <laughs> to, to have all of that responsibility and so many of us don't have contact with babies before we have babies yeah. these days. Um, have no idea what it's like mm. with, a, with a small baby that just cries and poos and might sleep but probably doesn't do it at night when you want them to. Mm. And, and, and how that can completely bring you to your knees, that just that bone grinding mm. and tiredness. Oh, no. of, oh. And we're not, we're not honest about it, are we? You know, I, I remember... Um, I did a maternity cover post at the council and and I remember B and I were running a, 
session when running a becoming mums face to face session. Remember those when we could meet? Really? I know. So oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> we were running one about birth trauma, um, and my my colleague who I was doing maternity cover for wanted to come along, and I and I and I said to her, "You're really welcome to come along, pregnant, to this session on birth trauma, but it is going to be." <laughs> really really honest about the worst possible birth outcomes that you might have and mm. you might not want to know that had it been me I would have signed up for multiple multiple sessions and I wanted to know absolutely <laughs> everything that might possibly go wrong so that I could feel prepared for all of it but we're all different and I think we um I think we we all do it we all sort of we don't talk as honestly to people who don't have children as we do to those who do because mm. they just get it um, and I think we, I think we dumb down or hide away some mm. of the really gruesome parts of it. When actually, sometimes some of those people need that information, and it can be a massive shock to the system that you know that that's what your birth experience might be like, or that that's what sleep deprivation really is, or that you're going to feel a rage you've never felt before in your life at 3 a.m. for every day for six months. <laughs> that might happen. We don't talk about that stuff. We don't talk about it. And of course, there's all the, you know, portrayals in the media of new mums where it's it's messy hair and there might be a bit of spit up on the shoulder and, you know, but but they're still, you know, they've still got a makeup team behind them, haven't they? And they're lit well and it's a TV programme. There's still a complete <laughs> fantasy around it. And it's very rare to see a portrayal of of the real, the real just relentless exhaustion or the the complex complications in your relationship or you know or anxiety just that you know that kind of low level anxiety all of that stuff we need to, we really need to be more open and honest about sorry I went off on a tangent there no 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 I was, <laughs> I was, I was one of my rants it's really interesting when I when we talk because when you have your day-to-day -day and you and you get on with life and you're making snacks and lunch and, and washing doing whatever working you sort of forget about that low, like what you're saying, that low-lying anxiety that's always there. And it doesn't really matter how old your kids are, the anxiety manifests itself differently. So before it's, you know, are they still alive? Are they breathing? <laughs> yes, they're fine. Okay, I can carry on sleeping. And then it becomes, are they hitting their milestones? Are they making friends? Are they happy? Are they, I mean, the crucial question is, are they happy? Well, that's what only what we ever want, isn't it? But it's, you know, for our children, we just want them to be happy. And you you forget, you know, Liz and I, when we started this group, Liz and I said, we make a promise to each other. We said, we're never going to forget. We're never going to let each other forget what it's like to have a baby. Because, and that's the, the crucial thing with becoming mums is you do. The truth is you do. You forget what it's like to wake up at, five times in the night you forget what it's like if you know weaning and worrying about them choking every second of the of the time when they're you forget about these small things but they're very they all add there's a bigger picture and they all add to this constant stream of anxiety that just doesn't go away and it, it it's by only by talking and communicating and saying I'm feeling really overwhelmed and is this normal do I need to go and see somebody? Have you had these thoughts? Is this, you know, is this something that I should be worried about? By having these conversations, it means that we're all on a much more level playing field and the conversation is kept open. When we stop talking about it and we stop having, and we, and we slip into these 
how's your baby sleeping at night? Superficial chat is fine in places, I understand it, but we need those honest, raw conversations with people that we trust regularly, daily, if not twice daily, three times daily, to <laughs> to all be able to look out for each other. There's something that I really like about maternity voices and that's that you're a blend of the professional and the personal and I know that you said that you don't try not to bring the per- your personal side into it but there is that element of familiarity and explaining without dumbing down and simplifying it it's a sort of mediation in the best possible way that women feel like they're being and we talk about this all the time about women feeling like they are being listened to and it's not brushed aside oh you know you'll be fine and there's probably going to be a pool and your partner can probably come we want definitive answers they want and they're entitled to have definitive answers and it's something that you do really well in coming back to the questions and making sure that they're answered making sure that it's written down without it being confrontational and that's what you want when you're you want an advocate you want somebody who's on your side asking the questions that you probably haven't even thought of it's stuff that wouldn't even occur to you until you're in that situation you want somebody to be able to articulate every eventuality and then have an answer for it that's what you know that's what I would want as a first time mum and even if I've you know had children that's I want answers and I think you do an exceptional job of that well thank you I mean it's it's a real privilege and, and a joy to be able to do this role. And what I love about the MVP is actually it's open to anyone. I got recruited as a parent rep when I had my second child and I was sort of running a local playgroup and the then chair came along to gather feedback and decided that she was going to recruit me. And, you know, at no point did I ever think I would end up chairing it. But it's, it's the it's really egalitarian. You can, you know, we want parent reps, we want people to come and join the conversations and be part of it. And, you know, anyone could come along, anyone listening to this podcast who, who's, you know, had care under the Royal Barks could, could come along and be part of our meetings and be part of our discussions and bring their questions and their voice. And it's that lived experience that the NHS is learning to recognise and is maternity is blazing the trail for this lived experience is really important and really valuable and the staff are great and they bring that they bring their own thing and obviously a lot of them are also parents and have that experience um but there's something really special about people who are people who are not health professionals who are not professionally trained yes there's there's something really powerful about the the peer-to-peer support space. I mean, it's, that's why we've created ourselves in the way that we have, because we're not answerable to anybody but one another. You know, and I think that, that having that bridge, that advocacy between mothers and, and an institution as huge as the NHS, you know, even though obviously individuals within it are all different and some are absolutely amazing. Um, it's, it's just, it's such an important thing, you know, that, that sense of being disempowered during birth and during pregnancy is so much more heightened this year. You know, it, it, it inevitably must be because suddenly there are a whole load of restrictions in place that you have no control over. And that's a massive trigger. It's a massive um, foundation for trauma is to feel out of control and unheard and unlistened, you know, not listened to. Um, and it took me, how long was it? It must have been 
about two years before I went to the birth reflections clinic to talk about my birth process. That's how long it took me to, to not to feel brave enough to do it, but to acknowledge that it existed, to find out that it existed, to acknowledge it might be something I needed, um, to make the phone call, to book the appointment. To do, and I had, the, I had a little a business card for the birth reflections clinic in my bag for six or seven months before I did anything about it we you know we need to it takes a lot it takes a lot for an individual to make that journey across the threshold to ask the questions that you need to ask or to get to regain a sense of power and control over your experience and if there are services like uh, maternity voices who can help you feel that you have some power in that dialogue and in that in that space and that's incredibly important um, had I known about you guys back then, then I, I I would have made use of you somehow. And in fact, I think I did actually. I think Tessa, uh, who runs uh, Tessa's Tessa runs yoga classes um, across Reading. She's absolutely fantastic. And I went to one of her yoga classes and I talked about my birth experience. And she said, "Can I feed this back to Reading Maternity Voices?" So I was like, "Oh well, yeah, sure, great." Um, and then just you know just left it there. But the, to, to be involved, and I would strongly encourage mothers women to get involved um in in you know supporting one another to access these services that exist because they are they're really powerful tools even if you're not 100 percent sure that you need it you don't have to be on your knees to reach out for help you know we talked about this in the last few sessions actually you don't have to be at death's door before you reach out for help just engaging in a dialogue might be a hugely supportive or preventative thing um, especially after this last year that we've had and we don't know you know as as you you were saying earlier mm -hmm. we don't know what's coming in terms of people's mental health we don't know um we don't know what to expect we don't know what changes are still to come uh, there's a whole load of expectation around sort of bouncing back to normal straight away if you've had your baby your first baby during lockdown um, how do you how do you go to baby groups there's going to be huge anxiety about that we've heard from mothers ourselves who've talked about anxiety just going out in the street with their new baby you know crossing the road from people who look like they might have a cough you know and that's just huge huge levels of anxiety around that and that's not going to go away quickly and that of course also has a cumulative effect you carry mm. that with you it doesn't just disappear as soon as the pubs open you know it, it, it remains and I think we need to we really need to support and, and bolster the services that we have because there aren't enough of them uh you know what you're doing is fantastic but we need more of it please and <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, we need we need so many more spaces like this because everybody accesses things differently don't they i was wondering emma with what you thought about um about moving forward over the next sort of year or so and how what would you like you talked about this utopian dream but what would you like to see what i'd really like to see is you know for everything to to return to normal and, and to be built on on what there was i just think that you can never have enough groups for people to drop into you know places for for mums to just go along to and and just be with other mums and have the potential to be able to open up about how they're feeling you know I know you know in the, in the days when my mum was a mum she says I had one play group a week and you don't know how lucky you all are um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think Maybe so. But society was very different. And I think there was more societal support. And I, I think there's been a lot of community spirit built 
through the pandemic, I think there has been lots of positives as well, probably focused on a lot of the more negative things. But I think there's been huge community spirit has grown out, out of this time as people have really realised the value of neighbours and supporting each other and working together. And I'd, I'd love to see that continue and for a real understanding in society of what new parents need it's not a case of when you chose to have a baby so you just get on with it but actually you know if your neighbors had a baby take them a meal offer to do their dusting or vacuuming you know all of these wonderful things the practical things that you need but also it doesn't just stop when the baby stops being a tiny newborn that as families you need support all the way through you you always it's such hard work being a parent which you just don't realize until you do it and you know just I'd love to see society just being more tolerant of children and families and less of the tutting and less of the judgment and less of the you should be doing it like this or you should be doing it just like I did it we, we've all got our own ways of, of parenting we all make our own choices and one of the things that we're really, really big on in the MVP is informed decision making you know that you have all the information you need and then you make the decision that's right for you and your family and it'll be a decision that looks different mm-hmm. to what you Mary down the road is doing or you know Sonia at school is mm-hmm. doing <laughs> because we're all really different people in different circumstances with different situations and I would just like yeah, us to yeah, be absolutely. supporting each other and just making sure that we've all got the information and support that we need instead of cutting each other down which I think happens I, I don't necessarily think it happens you know from parent to parent but just as a societal thing it frustrates me so yeah. much all this mummy wars that's invented by the media and actually we're all just trying to do the best for our kids. yeah just trying to just keep going <laughs> just want to keep going you know we just want we just want people to be happy less stress yeah and it doesn't matter whether you're doing joe wicks at 5 a.m every morning or whether you're lying on the sofa all day eating chocolate <laughs> it's fine <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it doesn't matter and you're absolutely right I think you know that support of each other even if you don't know that person you know that kind of we talk we joked actually in one of our lives about being able to signal to each other in a public place when your kids having a meltdown in the in the super and we came up with the sign that she does in the hunger games you know the fingers that she puts up where you just where everyone's just Ooh. silent and we're, and we're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're with you we don't judge you we've all been there you know that kind of solidarity that yes. you know and often I if I see something like that I do try and say I think you're incredible but that that you know that that talking about how normal it is and we live in a different society than we did years ago and we should be there for one another yeah. is that should be at the foundation of everything that we do as parents just be there for one another and 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 not judge because you're right we are all different what can we do to get involved with maternity voices so you can get involved in different ways really one of the things that I think is really great about maternity voices partnerships is that you can just bring your feedback about your maternity experience and you don't have to be making an official complaint but it means if you've got something you think something really should be done about this but it's not big enough for me to make a complaint or maybe you just don't have the energy to make a complaint because sometimes you just don't and you think oh but I just would like to give this to somebody else and know that something's going to be done with it 
-hmm. that's that's basically what we do so you can share your feedback with us you can email um like but we're mostly on facebook if you look at for reading mvp and we've got a closed facebook group for parent reps where i ask for people's opinions on things and if that's all the time people have got for then you know a little bit on facebook to answer some questions when i pop up and say can i have some opinions on this or you can come to meetings or you can get involved in projects actually some of our parent reps are involved in helping produce posters um that's really fantastic that there are you know firstly fantastic the work that you're doing but also fantastic that people can can do something positive to take some kind of action you know it's it's this idea that you know we we know things aren't great or we know that there's anxiety or we know that women are having a tough time or you know whatever it might be or we even you know other things like climate change you know you could just sit there and think oh this is really awful and that, but if you have something positive to do about it to take a real you know an action then it's really mm-hmm. it's empowering rather than overwhelming so I would yeah encourage people to get involved um I'm gonna I am actually gonna pass out because I'm in a weird heated <laughs> cave my cheeks i can see how red my cheeks are i'm slightly worried about taking this they're so pink i'm so hot i'm wearing a woolen jumper oh no bra because i just ran into the car to go and (laughs) deliver to pick up a teddy that my child had left at their grandparents um so i'm gonna i I feel like i need to extract myself from this horrible hellhole podcast (laughs) is a horrible hellhole let's just clarify no not that podcast Emma, thank you so much. We're yes, so grateful. Also, just, you know, in light of all the women that you're supporting as well, I feel like a collective, we're collectively thanking on their behalf as well, because, you know, it's such a wonderful service and long may it continue and the word spread because you guys are fab. Thanks, guys. Have a good evening. been listening to a parenting in a pandemic podcast from fee and liz at becoming mums please subscribe for new episodes and follow us at becomingmums.com or via our instagram and facebook pages